Okay, welcome Paul to No Excuses Real Inspiration, hosted by myself, Scott Marshall. So thank you for giving up some time this morning and coming on my show. It's a real honour to have having on my show. So Paul, just for the viewers, just give a wee brief intro of who you are and what you currently do as a business. Thank you very much, Scott. And, and likewise, thank you so much for having me on, on this morning. It is a, a privilege. So my name is Paul, Paul Kelly. And people ask me what I do, and I, I tend to say I'm a coach, a trainer, and an adventurer. So background education, we'll get into that shortly. But fundamentally, I work with people. When I say coach, it's about sort of moving people from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah. So it's about that mindset. It's about setting goals. It's about aspirations. It's about, so I call myself a possibility coach. What's the thing that you want to do that you dream is impossible? And then we say, how do we turn that from impossible to I am possible? Yeah. And moving it, moving it forward that way. So really work with people. And I work with people from professional sports athletes to people with mental health issues, to people struggling with PTSD, whole range of things from literally at the moment, I'm working with 16-year-olds up to a 73-year-old. So right across the right across the spectrum in that capacity. Training-wise, I train people to be coaches, therapists, uh, different modalities and different things of that, as well as a lot of mental health training as well, and a lot of behaviour training, especially working in the care sector and the sports industry, looking at behaviours. And then I'm adventurer, so I've guided for years, so I love to get out in a canoe, a kayak, on my bike, in the hills, and just go and enjoy nature and share it with people. No, absolutely fantastic, Paul. It sounds like you've got a busy lifestyle. It's it, pretty hectic at times. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So how did it become that this was going to be your business? How did you get involved with this? Oh, that's a that's an interesting story. So, well, interesting to me, maybe not to, but everyone. <laughs> uh, so starting off, growing up was, growing up was an interesting time, as it is for a lot of, of young people, not really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, it got to the point where school and I came to the, the decision that it would be better if neither of us saw each other again. But I uh, ended up going doing an NC in outdoor pursuits and ended up falling in love with the outdoors. And, and from there, I went on to get some jobs in the outdoor industry. I then went back to university and got a management degree, uh, went on to work out of bounds. So really started working in personal development. Right from like 18, my career was personal development, working with people uh, to make change in their life uh, at different levels. And from it about, I ended up specialising working with young people in care, security units, tentative programmes, impact programmes or management. And that's where I first started learning about behaviour. So looking at non-violent communication, transaction analysis, really helping people understand why they do what they do. Because for me, the primary stone is awareness. When we're aware of what we do, then we, can we have options to change it. Yeah. From there, uh, I'd met, you know, talking about mental health, I got burnt out. There wasn't the things in place to look after me because I was working with young people and, you know, that have gone through a lot, not looking at, you know, taking care of secondary trauma. And to be honest, you know, not taking care of myself, being a typical man, suck it up, get on with it, man up, push on through. And you know what? I'll not deal with this. I'll just leave the job and go and find something else. You know, that, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of my approach at that time. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give up this outdoor malarkey thing a wee bit and I'm going to move into the corporate life because that's not stressful. So <laughs> ended up working for a company 
uh, owned by venture capitalists, so a lot of pressure on budgets and money and all that stuff. And we ran 11 sites across England, Wales, and Northern France, uh, largest apprenticeship program in the activity sector. And I looked after all of the training and technical standards for that. Again, driving 50, 60,000 miles a year, being here, there, and everywhere, lots and lots of pressure, lots of personal stuff going on as well. Uh, with, with children and such like that, I won't go into too much, but lots of personal pressure, lots of work pressure, lots of life pressure, just pressure, a big pressure pot. And I was also struggling at that time with Lyme disease. So it had been diagnosed and it was on and off different antibiotics. Came home one Christmas and literally collapsed and spent the next three to six months lying in a, a darkened room in a bed, couldn't walk 25 metres, couldn't really hold a cup. Things were going downhill quite a bit. And the doctors kind of told me that would be my life. I'd end up in a wheelchair and with a full-time carer because they didn't know if it was MS or uh, Lyme disease gone neurological. Yeah. And I kind of thought, really appreciate the doctors, love the NHS, love what they do. But for me, I couldn't accept that as a diagnosis. Yeah. So I started looking into nutrition. You name it, I started doing the research of what I did. And for me, my background in outdoor uh, education was, well, it was multi-facilitated, but I loved canoeing and sea kayaking. And what I loved about it was looking at mechanically, how do you make the strokes as efficient as possible mechanically? Yeah. Because it's about how, how long do you have to paddle, multiple days paddling. So it's about taking that endurance aspect of the sport and really conserving energy, making the stroke as efficient, mechanical as possible. So my, my, my approach on me then was, well, if I've only got a limited amount of, of energy, how do I maximize that to my potential? You know, if I'm going to live my life like this, I want to maximize it. So I started looking into Alexander technique, Batiko, started doing all of these. So Batiko is about breathing, Alexander technique is about posture. Started looking at food, nutrition in a whole different way. Started looking at sleep routines in a whole different way and really created a routine that enabled me to get a mind-body, looked at the brain, how the brain affects the body, looked at the neurobiology, the biopsychology of all that going on. Really understood me, understood how the body worked, understood what I was I dealing with and what was going on and I got myself back on my feet and not in a wheelchair not with a carer and that was 15 years ago now wow so uh yeah and so then for me I thought well if I can do this other people can do it yeah I thought I don't want to go back into that corporate environment of pressure 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 with no for me so I took a bit of redundancy package and I started training because again, there's lots of stuff for me. Being a man, I went, you know, problem with my, my son wasn't well. We lost our daughter, uh, pressure of work, lots of things going on. But I was being the man, just suck it up and get on with it. Yeah. You know, we talk about mental health. I wasn't sharing, I wasn't talking, I wasn't being emotional. I was just bottling, bottling, bottling. And I'll be honest now, that collapse at the time, I blamed it down to stress at work, Lyme's disease. You know everything else apart from me yeah and the fact that i wasn't admitting how i was feeling or what i was dealing with or or who i was in the situation it was all out there it was everything else's fault not my fault yeah and so for me when i had to go on these training courses and go and learn it there was no one offering what i did 
And because of my background, I very much use a blended approach. I very much work with the person. So rather than trying to make someone fit a modality or make someone fit a certain way of doing things, I work with the person like, okay, so we can take bits from here, bits from there, lots of things all over the place. So I look at my modalities as Lego sets. They all make beautiful models in their own right, but you take different bits from Lego and you can create something unique for a person, because we're all unique. And there was no one doing that, so I went off and trained to become a coach so that I could work with people to make these changes in their life that they wanted using those modalities. And then recently I've then become a trainer so that I can train other stuff I train, but also train people to do the coaching the way I do it and the, the therapy the way I do it using multiple modalities. And that's how I get into it. Wow. Well, it's been a busy lifestyle. <laughs> it, it has been fairly full on. Okay. And for yourself, Paul, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I am 48. Okay. Right. So now, mentally and physically, uh, what age do you actually feel? Honestly? Yeah. I feel mid-20s. Mid yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> We don't want to feel older than our no, age. No, age is a number. Yeah, absolutely. It's number. It's what, 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 you, what do you want to place on that number? It's about, it comes back to perception. Yeah. You know, and I don't think it's too deep going into the debates, but, you know, societal projection of at a certain age, how we should act. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, 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 I totally, I totally sort of uh, rebuff that. Yeah. Because we, we, we should be how we feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and sometimes if you want to skip down the street and jump, go and jump in puddles, crack on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because what, what, you, what you said, perception, you know, people's perception, perception yeah. of your age, the way you should act. But no, yeah. you're no. your own person. Do what mm -hmm. you want. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll hear it as well. People say, oh, I'm too old now to, to get fit. I'm too old to do this. Or I'm too old to do that. And it is literally a perception of the mind, what you're putting onto yourself, what limitations are you creating? You know, yeah. they're limiting beliefs. Absolutely. And they don't need to be there. Yeah, it might take a bit longer. You might need to do things slightly differently. You might need to come up from a different approach, but it's what I love to do. It's all possible. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And for yourself, so you, you spoke there about how busy you are, you know, mm -hmm. within work, you know, coaching, etc. So how do you fit in your own fitness routine into this, your work so, week? Big part of it is, is uh, self-care. Yeah. So with my fitness, with my exercise, I look at it as self-care. And that's something that a lot of people go, oh, that's selfish. But if you don't look after you, how can you take care of the, your priorities that are important to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's your loved ones, your family, your goals, your aspirations. It's all of that stuff. If you don't look after you, so oxygen mask pop down in a, in a plane. You put yours, yours on first, because if you don't and you can incapacitated, you cannot help anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. First aid, you don't rush in, because again, if you're incapacitated, you can't help anyone else. So yeah. you look after you, and it's actually selfless, because then you can, then you've got more to give. So I do, I do a daily routine. It's all about routines. So I do breathing exercises every day to keep the, the sort of breathing working well that keep, helps keep the mind clear i use a lot of visualization to clear out so as i go through the day i'm sort of dumping stuff out of the brain so when i sleep at night i get my good restorative sleep uh i i tag in things like you know going for a walk so i do a lot of walking yeah 
but you got mindful walking, present walking, whatever you quite call it, but it's being in the moment, so noticing what's going on, so allowing my brain just to decompress slightly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite often, if I'm doing like online sessions, I'll do them standing up. Yeah. Again, I'm building that into the day, and I'll move around, and I make sure when, if I'm doing an online training session or a day's training session at, at lunchtime, I will make sure I get outside, and I'll make sure I get a walk-in. Yeah. So I conscious water, make sure I'm getting water intake where it needs to be. Uh, I do exercises for my back and, you know, sort of small Pilates movements, small yeah. uh, stretches. So they, but they're just part of what I do in my routine every day. Yeah. Then I I like to make sure, I, you know, for me, yeah, I go to the gym. Yeah. I, I look to go three times a week at least, yeah. at least, if not more. And I do tend to focus more on cardio than mm -hmm. than weights but i do some weights as well for more mobility and getting things moving but then i make sure that every month i get a day in the hills yeah and a day in the water and a day in my bike no good so i, I build that and if not more so that's my minimum but i try and build in more and what i'll do as well is if i've got something that i'm i'm struggling to process or i want to be creative or i need to do some work on developing things Rather sitting in the office, you know, I'll get get the phone, get the phone, get the headphones off on, and I'll go out to the the beach, sit at the beach, or I'll go for a walk, and I'll dictate. Or so as well, I'll do some of my my work that I think I'm going to be sitting at the computer going this. Yeah, right. uh, I'll actually get out and I'll dictate while, yeah. I'm, while I'm walking out in nature. Or people look at me weirdly sometimes, but <laughs> but you you know on that uh, subject, Paul, you know the, the case of going for a walk you know, a 10, 15 minute walk um, around the block, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you've had a niggling issue in your head yeah. all day, you know, you know, suddenly the problem is resolved as it, soon as you go that walk. It is, because as soon as you, as soon as you're sitting there and you can't work it out, you're starting to create the, like the fight and flight, the sympathetic nervous systems in your body and your body's starting to get wound up and it's not wanting to, and literally the cortisol is, is reducing the logical, rational part of the brain's capacity to be creative. Yeah. As soon as you get outside, oxytocin and melatonin levels start coming up, serotonin start coming up, there's phytocytes there's we're breathing in, there's microorganisms we're breathing in that's improving the health of the body. But fundamentally as well, if we can get out and walk near water, yeah, yeah we have an infinity with water and it's scientifically proven. All my stuff is based in science and we, we are an infinity with water. So being near water, able to see water, having water playing, even we water features, yeah, it actually physically reduces cortisol. Wow. Which improves the gut, because we forget about how much the, the gut gets really hammered when we're in a bit of uh, fight and flight. Yeah. And the neocortex, the top part of the brain, we do the logical, rational thinking. So as soon as we lower that cortisol, we can actually be creative, we can start thinking. The brain's also engaged because rather than being in a sterile office, I'm not saying the sterile as in non-creative, but when we're outside, the wind, the rain, the sun, the noises, it occupies different parts of the brain. Yeah. So the brain becomes preoccupied, if you like, on dealing with everything that's going on about it in a nice, calm way that allows the brain then to go, okay, what's this thing? And it allows it to play with it. So that's quite often as we do that shift, there is actually science behind why it works. Yeah, and for your obviously you mentioned going to the gym, Paul. Mm -hmm. you know, 
three times a week and you minimum minimum <laughs> minimum yes yeah minimum yes, non-negotiable yeah non-negotiable so I, I try and go more but yeah. rather than give myself a high target and then struggle to meet that so the goal setting yeah three three is my minimum but i'll i do aim to go okay before. and when you go to the gym when mm-hmm. you finish this a session what is your post workout snack or drink what's your favorite Okay, it tends to be water and peanut butter and apple. Okay, good, good. And if you were to have a cheap cheap meal, what would that be? Oh, nachos loaded with everything. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm talking about lots of cheese, lots of sour cream, lots of lots of jalapenos, <laughs> salsa. I'm, I'm not talking about none of the you go to the restaurant and you get the skimpy version yeah yeah proper loaded proper loaded yeah. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> and obviously we've been speaking a lot about mental health mm. on this uh, podcast but in your own personal opinion mental health and exercise what's your take on it they go hand in hand they go hand in hand we really call it exercise as in uh, deliberate exercise, so planned it, like going to the gym, going yeah, for yeah. a cycle, going for a walk, going for a run, hitting the bag, whatever your thing is, hitting the weights. You know, so so I got I got a set of programs where it's meta performance and meta emotions, and the two overlap because it's just health. We have health. We, we we like to say physical health, mental health. I tend to call it emotional health just because yeah. I've got a stick around the word mental, and then we've also got like well being. And well-being health is our values, our beliefs, and our purpose. You know, big thing, what is our why? And all those three things together, that's our health. Because when the three overlap, the resilience is in the middle. That's yeah. what keeps us strong. That's what keeps us going. And if we don't look after the body, you know, yeah. uh, whether that be exercise or just general walking, general moving, keeping the body, you know, supple, keeping it able to do what it needs to do, that result, that uh, reduces resilience then that affects mental health or emotional yeah. health how we regulate because when we exercise the body moves the lymphatic system gets rid of all the junk in the body it enables the body to move but it's increasing all the endorphins the good endorphins because once we've had that post-workout hit and we get that that, that whoa nice feeling inside yeah. that's the endorphins and that's your parasympathetic and because you're you're exercising and you know the little micro tears and how the body has to repair and how the body has to expand itself, the body has to you know, improve what it's doing. What we're doing inside the brain is we're also challenging the chemoreceptors. So yeah. how resistant we become to carbon dioxide if we're doing breathing exercises. And, you know, how resistant we become to be able to last longer running. So you start at 1K to 5K to 10K to half marathon to marathon, or you, you, you go sequentially up on your weights, whatever it is you're, you're focusing on. You're changing that mindset in the brain about what's possible, what you do. Yeah. So you're challenging the brain, you're challenging your mindset, you're challenging the physiology of the brain. And also what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the, the if you like the hormones, the neurobiology side of it, you're also releasing all of the good stuff in the brain. And the more we can do that, so if you think about 12 minutes a day, you know, that's one hour a week that your brain is in a good place. Yeah. Absolutely. Literally from 12 minutes, and that could be 12 minutes walking. I mean, yeah, I think a bit more, but 
just literally 12 minutes. So if you can increase that, you know, and do a little bit more, two hours. So suddenly, you know, we're just, I look at minimal gains. It's not where can people make, you know, because people often say, but it's a massive change, but it's how you chunk it down, break it right down, make it achievable. Because even that, even that, you know, as I said, three is my non-negotiable. Getting to the gym, ticking that off. Oh, good, I've achieved something. Yeah. First thing I do in the morning is get up and make my bed. Because if nothing else goes right that day, I've achieved my first task. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've got a made bed to go and collapse into at the end of the day. <laughs> you 100%, know? Paul. 100%. Yeah. So it, it's that, all the little. So there's so much in there about the benefit of it for mental health and emotional health. It's putting you in a good place. It's making you feel good. It's keeping the body active. You're, you're increasing the good, the, the parasympathetic hormones in the body. You're, you're improving the healing of the body. You improve sleep as well not just from physically being tired, but the brain thinks, okay, I've had my body under a bit of duress from exercise, it needs repaired. So yeah. it'll, it'll engage more in non-REM sleep, so the, the non-eye, non-rapid eye movement sleep, so the body can rest, so you do feel more replenished after the end of the day as well. So it really impacts on the, the benefits of the brain in multiple, multiple ways. When we're exercising as well, we can get a better carbon dioxide, natural oxygen mix, which helps free the muscles because we don't think, if we're holding tension in the body from tight muscles or sore muscles or achy muscles or stiff body, that had a knock-on effect with the brain. Yeah. You know, it's not, we we, we can't, we have to stop looking at it almost like mental, physical. Uh, They are one. It's one health. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it goes both ways. If If we're struggling like we feel a bit down and it's okay to feel down. It's okay to have days where we feel sad. It's okay to have days where we feel a bit depressed, a bit anxious, a bit nervous. If it's justified, if there's a reason. Yeah. Because we move through it. Because the whole word emotion, we feel emotion. And emotion is actually energy in motion. Yeah. And what we have to be what we have to be aware of is when we get stuck in an emotion, like feeling sad, feeling down, can't be bothered, feeling depressed, whatever that may be. That becomes our mood. Yeah, it reflects on. It reflects, yeah. and then and then that that mood becomes your temperament. That temperament becomes a personality trait. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, people say, "Oh, they're always moody. They're always sad. They're always happy." Yeah, you know, they're always yeah. bouncing around because it's that thing. But if you notice the body language, if we talk about exercise, making the connection, uh, when someone looks down, their shoulders are down. They're hunched forward. Yeah. They're not eating right. The, the, I said before, that because the, the gut doesn't get the help. Because when we exercise well, get the lungs going, get the diaphragm going, that really helps the gut as well. Because that diaphragm's got a dual function, breathing and digestion. So it gets them both them both going. We reduce that cortisol, so that's get blood flowing into the gut. And then also, we because of the way we're breathing, we're keeping pH in balance, because pH, is, as you know, is the... It's such a small margin. And if we don't take care of pH through respiratory, we have to take care of it through digestion, which means then we're dumping all of our soluble vitamins, which help us increase serotonin. So when we exercise, we're all in that good place. The body is working as it should. And the body is creating the chemicals, the hormones, the minerals, it's storing them properly. Everything's in balance, spending life's balance. That's my tagline. Everything's in balance then the brain can work at its optimum. The body's not having to engage secondary systems. The brain's not having to do reactive 
work, we can be proactive, we can be healthy, and everything just feels good. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if that answers your question, sorry. Went a bit in the back. It does, it does. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I love the science, Scott, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving the chat. I'm loving the chat this morning, you know. It's, you know, when I give you a subject, you, you go right in depth. I love that. So let's talk about Paul. So okay. does Paul have any bad habits? Oh, we've all got bad habits. <laughs> Everyone, I don't, you know, no matter how how good we think we have got bad habits. And, and that can be down to, you know, the way we think sometimes and the way we do. So what's my bad habit? My bad habit is cake. Cake. <laughs> I do love a bit of cake, I'm afraid. Okay. What, what type of cake is your Oh, it depends what day of week it is. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I do, but see, for me, so I like food, you know. Yeah. And I had a negative relationship with food for a number of years. It's one of the things I had to work on. Uh and it's changing it from being a negative behavior where you're using food as a comfort. Yeah. Where you're using food as a, a self-soothing, self-nurturing aspect within intent to actually being, you know, going back to being, it's a, it's a treat. Yeah, absolutely. So it's then looking at, you know, so balanced diet. Yes. But then as you say, have cheat days or think I'm going to the, I'm going to go out for a meal or actually, it's the weekend, I really fancy X, Y, and Z. Yep. But it's balancing that off saying, okay, but if I'm going to do that, how do I balance it? Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, uh, it's balancing it. So I suppose for me, food would be my biggest bad, bad habit. Okay. And when you go to the and, gym... And waffling. Say that again. Waffling. Waffling. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in the gym, Paul... Yeah. What's your favourite exercise to do? I love the rowing machine. The rowing machine? Ah. Uh, okay. The rowing um, machine. Battle ropes. To, okay. And the battle ropes. Yeah. So if you were to go to the gym and mm -hmm. those two pieces of kit are getting used mm -hmm. and the gym instructor in the gym says, right, Paul, you have to do your worst exercise today because your two favourites are getting used, what would that be? Well... If it's a cardio, it's the running machine. Running machine? I hate the running machine. Loathe it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, it's, it's known well within health and fitness in the leisure industry as the hamster wheel. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, if you're going to go a run, go outside. Yeah, yeah. Get, get some fresh air, you know, see some yeah. You know, because yeah. I think, you know, the treadmill works for people who are, have got a busy schedule and yeah. need to be back in the office or in the yeah. house at a certain time, etc. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to run, yeah. go outside. I'd much rather be outside running. If I'm, I'm, I'm going to run, I'd run outside. Same with the bike. I love a spin class. Love a spin class. Uh, but I, I'd much rather be in my bike outside. Okay, right. So but I do, love, I do love the, the intensity. Okay. You know, I like, I like, so for me, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I do like getting, I do like hitting the weights a wee bit, yeah. you know, uh, but I do love like circuits, 
yeah. hit, hit, hit sessions, spin sessions, things where you're really getting the book. Like, I think the reason is your body gets such a, an amazing workout. You know you've worked out because there's a puddle on the floor. Well, for me, there is. Yeah. Uh, and But your brain's so occupied in what's going on that it really feels like a... Yeah, absolutely. You know? And okay. and that's why I love the rowing machine as well. So the rowing machine, I use it as a warm-up usually. And I go for endurance. Because, yes, being the boat outside, but getting like going for a run quite easy. Put your running shoes on, get outside. Cycling, yeah. grab the bike out of the, out of the garage, get on the bike. To go for a paddle, it's a bit more effort. Yeah. It does take more of an effort. Whereas getting the rowing machine, I kind of feel, it's, it's not rowing, but it has that similar feel to me. It has an, uh, an association with what I love. Yeah. But the reason I love the rowing machine is because when you get into a rhythm, I get the headphones on with a, a good podcast. Yeah. So I can get my exercise and I can get a bit of CPD done. Absolutely. At the same time. Okay. Uh, what's machine? So treadmill or the uh, like the leg press? Leg press. Okay. I don't know the proper name for it. Sorry, but the big yeah, that, gnarly that, one, that, big gnarly, horrible. Yeah, that, that's the name of it. You got it <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And out of your your whole journey, Paul, mm-hmm. what would be your best memory if you could pick one? From what 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 aspect? A fitness aspect. Fitness aspect, okay. Fitness aspect is oh, would it be possibly getting out of hospital and turning your life around? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. So getting back to to fulfill, I was trying to think of a, like a mountain marathon or a big right, expedition. Okay. Finished. <laughs> I was trying to think of something of that nature. Absolutely, you know. You hit the nail on the head, Scott, there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Been able to actually... So there was a period in my life that I thought I would never get on the hill again. Yeah. And I had just gone through a few things, and I was feeling better. I took the challenge to go for a hill walk. And it wasn't a massive hill walk. It was just a local one here. And it was really small. But for me, it was like getting to the top of that mountain... Yeah, just felt absolutely elated, amazing. You know, and in my in my career of mountains, I've walked up and done things on. It, scale wise, it doesn't really compare, but the achievement of having done it, having been in my bed for the last however months, yeah, being being given a diagnosis that I didn't accept, getting myself back on my feet, you know, and then achieving that, then yeah, I was. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. That's a fantastic memory. I appreciate that. No, that was an amazing achievement to feel. Yeah, and you know, proven to the, the doctors, etc. You know, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Yeah, and and it's looking at a lot of these, you know, long term <laughs> effects. What we call whether it's we go long COVID or limes or MS or ME or whatever you want to look at there. Then absolutely, there's usually a a cause effect, a viral or, or some injury that starts it. Yeah. But a lot of the time, it's the body gets stuck in an automated sympathetic pattern. And the signs and symptoms of what you see, because they all look similar, is the, the... So it's like going to your car, leaving it in neutral, turning it on and putting your foot flat in the accelerator. Yeah. The engine inside is revving its head off, but going nowhere. Yes. I mean, people get stuck 
in that mode because they've been fighting whatever it is they were fighting. So absolutely never saying there was not nothing, there was something there. But because we, we're habitual creatures, 90% of what we do on a daily basis is subconscious. We don't think about it. We just yeah. do it. We just do it. <laughs> we just do it because that's how the brain works. It just creates patterns, but we don't update them like our telephones and our uh, computers and such like. I get stuck in that negative pattern of just that's how I operate. But your car engine wouldn't last too long if you sat there with a foot flat accelerator. Yeah. You no know, wear and tear, it would stress, it would run out of fuel, it blow a gasket, whatever it might be. And, and for us as well, when we're struggling with, with those sort of aspects, and that's mental health as well. That's mental health as well. We get stuck in that hamster wheel. I loved your analysis. We're on the treadmill. We're on the treadmill yeah. and we're just daily, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's changing that habit so the body can go, <sighs> and then when that changes, everything can come back into, into balance and, and people can be who they want to be. And that's when things become possible. No, oh, absolutely. So then you get energy and everything else. And one little last thing that's worth saying as well, we're talking about changing. You're talking about mental health, mental health illness, mental health disorders. Just because it's mental health uh, awareness week. So yeah. let's get this out there. Yeah. Uh, mental health illness is all treatable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all changeable. Totally. And yeah. In the background, Paul, for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has there been a role model in the background that someone who you've looked up to or someone someone's book you've read or a podcast you've listened to, etc.? There's been there's been a number, to be honest, there's been a number through the years. Yeah. But uh, I think my my grandfather and my father. Yeah. You know, were big, big role models for me. Uh, my grandfather, from the, the point that he came from, you no know, large, typical Glasgow family, you know, tenements. I think he had like nine brothers and sisters, right. something of like that kind of thing. Uh, not a lot going on for them. Uh, boxing went off, young man went off to war, came back, became a postman, trained himself, and got him to himself to the, you know, high level within the uh, Department of Work and Pensions. Yeah looking after a whole area. So just that transition of never giving up. And he was, he was medically discharged from the war having been shot so many times. Okay. But just that tenacity that he had. Yeah. Never <laughs> the drive. And, and it was a comparison of, I mean, yeah, there's no, not sharing, but so gentle, so kind, so compassionate, you know, as, as a grandfather. But then you could see him in that tenacity of making things happen. Yeah, of of being the boss as it was, <laughs> you know, and sharing that. And then I think, yeah, my dad as well, because growing up there was huge unemployment. Factory door got shut, but you could see he 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 did everything he could to find another job, find another job, go on a training scheme. He never just sat there and accepted that he got dough money. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. unemployment benefit. I should yeah. say that probably. Sorry, <laughs> apologies. It, it slips back in. You can't help it. I just <laughs> <laughs> he never. He always looked for something to do. Yeah. Just kept going, kept going, kept going. And I suppose that tenacity of determination of of drive from two key men in my life, you know, really did. You know, for me, as I went through my, and I mentioned there was other things going on, uh, 
early in my career, I had a rugby accident where I a mall collapsed. My my foot basically was on my leg. I tore all the soft tissue in my right ankle. Okay. Hmm. I'm told basically I would my any sporting career or any outdoor career was over. But stuck with it and ended up getting an ankle operation and ended up having a very successful outdoor yeah, career. Absolutely. You know, gaining high level awards in it. So just that never give never accepting, never giving up. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh being told from rugby injuries, riddled arthritis. No, still got full, full just everything, <laughs> still carrying on. Uh niggles. I'm not not saying I'm not niggle free, but uh carrying on. But it's just that not accepting what you're told. Yeah. In a sense of believing it for yourself. Is it something you want to take on board or is it something you want to challenge? So I suppose that that's close people to me in my life. Uh, and I think the uh, Joe Simpson story, you know, falling into the crevasse, not giving up, pulling himself out, dragging himself down the mountain. Yeah. Just that drive, drive to to keep going. Yeah. And, you know, it's... I'm trying to think... Sorry? Know, it's phenomenal, you know, when you actually sit and sit back at an angle and reflect and you're like, you know, that person's helped me, that person's helped mm-hmm. me. Absolutely. And, and it all comes together. It does. And that's what I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to look for inspiration. And it's it sounds bad, but there's, there's so many t- I suppose it's looking if you if we open up and look to the world, different people come into our lives at different times. And I think they, they offer that inspiration, they offer that drive, they offer that you know, go at yeah. that right time for you. You know, and I could probably sit here and, and you know, deconstruct my life and say at that that person at that time helped me yeah, do that. Yeah. You know, that person in that job. So, like, going to college for the first time to do my HNC and seeing the, the kayak instructor, like, oh, my God, look how amazing he is on the water. I'll never get to that. Yeah. You know, but he was an inspiration. But then getting to that point and going past it. Yes. Then looking at the next level of, you know, instructors and think, wow, they're amazing. I want to emulate them. I want to be like them. And they drive you forwards to achieve more. And then, then you get to that point and you surpass it. Then you look to the next. So, but it's not, it's never devaluing the person before. Yeah. It's just a pathway. You know, it's a pathway. It's the journey. We're all, we're all on a journey. And it's, it's acknowledging, accepting and thanking and being grateful for those people at that time in your life that gave you that drive, gave you that nudge, didn't give up on you, gave you that word, that piece of inspiration that just drove you to the next to the next level. Yeah. And if you could pick any pet hates within health and fitness and social media, what would it be? What would be your top two be? On social, on social media, or in yeah, anything. Your two pet hates. <clears throat> Biggest pet hate in the gym <laughs> is when when people go in as groups. Awesome, love it. If you want to go in as a group, crack on. I love yeah. the interconnection, the social aspect. I don't want any of that. But when you start using like three, four bits of kit, and yeah. you're not, you're just standing there waffling. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so they've, they've kind of taken over the piece of kit because they're, they're rotating around it, but they're not they're not doing the, they're not doing their, their rotation sets, they're not doing whatever they're doing. They're just standing there waffling. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sorry, that does, you know, hurt <laughs> my face slightly. Yeah, I see it daily <laughs> on a number of that's, occasions. That's my biggest pet hate on uh, <laughs> in the gym. I uh, see that often. Uh, so I try and choose times I know those groups okay. are going. What about social media? Social media is... I think in social media, it's when people are over negative to the point they're they're looking for sympathy, yeah, but not wanting the help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've no I've no issue with people sharing their stories. I think we all need to know stories to know what we're all dealing with. I think we we hide sometimes too much behind masks. What what's going on for all of us? Yeah. But it's when you share, but are not willing to take advice or, or learn how to move out of it or, or wanting to develop from it. They just want the sympathy that comes, yeah. you know, with the, what they're sharing. Yeah. Because for me, the issue is when they take that sympathy, that's only ever going to... And I'm, not being, I'm not saying don't be empathetic. I sound really harsh and horrible there. I don't mean don't be empathetic, don't be kind and caring. But if we're all we're doing constantly is arm stroking, we're enabling them to stay where they are. Yes. And we need to acknowledge where they are, have an understanding from our perspective, we'll never know how they feel, but say, what can we do to assist them to move forward from where they are, not keep them stuck where they are? Well, definitely, Paul. And for yourself, what makes Paul Kelly unique? What makes me unique? Oh, that's a good question. Dumped me on that one. What <laughs> makes me unique? We're all unique. We're all snowflakes. Uh, what makes me unique? I think it, it is my journey. Yeah. Like everyone else. Because it took me a long time. I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. I don't, I don't necessarily want to blow my own trumpet. But, you know, I have you know, managed to get past quite a number of things. And it is that belief that I have in making things possible. And yeah. I love and have a drive to share that with people, yeah. to really want to, you know, show other people. I want other people to succeed. I want other people to live their dreams, have their passions realized, you know, make their impossible possible. Absolutely. And that's what I love. That's my purpose. And that's what I love doing yeah. for others. And you've, you know, you've overcame so many hurdles in your in your life. It's just yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you look at it like a track uh, yeah. aspect. And for yourself, where would you like to see your business within the next three to five years, if you have a plan? Do I have a plan? Do I have a plan? <laughs> <laughs> I really want to take my... So I've got a thing called the Meta Programme. It's nothing to do with Facebook. I came up with it before Facebook. But it's 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 six workshops that underpin. So it's meta performance. So look a lot on breathing, sleep, uh, visualization, minimal gains, uh, uh, meta emotion. So looking at the science of emotion, understanding how we look, think, feel. Uh, space, how to get space in our life. I'm going through these quickly, sorry. Uh, metacognition. So understanding what's my purpose and, you know, how do I interact with the world? Uh, Meta attitude, what are values and beliefs? How does that impact us? And then meta mindsets. So that's the workshops, then practitioner courses. 
so at practitioner advanced and master level. And I really want to take that program. That's my coaching still, adventure still. But my big focus is to take that forward because it's working with anyone that's a coach, a therapist, anyone that's a manager, a leader, anyone that works with people to help people make change or make achieve things. Yeah. Because the way I see it is I can work with, say I work with five people in a day. That's 25 people I can work with in a week, potentially, yeah. if I'm lucky. Using my model, using the way I've learned to work with people, which it sounds like it does work. You know, I do get, you know, great results with people. If it's right for them, and we're not always the right people, and we work that out at the start. But if I can train, say, five more people to do to be able to offer something similar, yeah. then we're all doing 25 a week. That's 125. And then 10, so it just multiplies. So the way I see it is it's about this passion I have for helping people and moving people forwards. And it's there, and, and let's be very, very clear. They are moving themselves forward. Yeah. Just like you in the gym, you can't lift the weights and run for them or whatever you're yeah, doing. Exactly. I, I can't, I can't make, they have got to want the change. They're going to make the change. Yeah. We are there to support, to facilitate, to assist, to adapt what they're doing to help look out, give them a perspective on things. So when I say the change, they're doing it. Everyone's making the change for themselves. But what I needed wasn't there when I needed it. And I want it to be there for other people. Yeah. So my plan is to really get my my meta workshops, meta programs up and running to other, help other people to have these skills to go and assist, assist others yeah. so that when people need it, it is there. No, fantastic, Paul. And if people want to find you online, recommend mm-hmm. you that. Uh, um, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you'll find me all on those. So at PKG Coaching, you'll basically find me on any of those medias and www.pkgcoaching.com. You'll find me on the on web, Wobland. No, fantastic. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so... What advice would you give to anyone starting out their fitness journey for the first time? Think about what's your end goal. You know, what's your end goal, and then what's your goal beyond your goal? You know, people think I want to, I want to run argument sake for the public. I want to run five k. Yeah. So if you could run five k, what would you do then? And you say six k or seven k or ten k. So what's your goal? What's your goal beyond your goal? Because you, you need that, you need the end point in sight. Otherwise, you're just running around aimlessly. Yeah. Right. 100%. And <laughs> I mean, need the goal beyond the goal because if you've if you've been for a run, I'm using running as an example. Whatever you want to use for it, it could be your wet, your 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 reps of weights or whatever, or your. If you do five k, there's that bit when you get to like four point five k, and you think, "Oh, I'm nearly done." <laughs> yeah. Oh. Or four point eight k, I'm nearly done. And you actually mentally and physically start slowing down yeah. because the end is near. Yeah. But if you get that goal beyond the goal, you're always aiming beyond it. So you will, it will help you achieve the goal you want to achieve. Yeah, totally. Whatever the time, the weight is. And, and then once you've got that goal, the end goal, it's what's the first step? What's the, what's the first little goal? And actually, if that is just getting to the gym, Congratulations. Yeah. You know, because some people, that's a massive mindset shift. 
that's a massive self-belief, massive self-confidence. And don't set it to don't set your goals too high. Have lots of lots of little ones. Yeah. Because it's all about achieving goals. Because every time you because it's about momentum. Once you get momentum going, then you get motivation. Yeah, totally. People yeah. say I need motivation, but you need to get the ball rolling down the hill. And the further down the hill, the faster it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So and little tiny goals to get started. Tiny goals. Okay. Right. Okay. So this is a new section of my okay. podcast. So Here it goes. Sports debates. So what's your take on MMA? Do you believe that in the coming years that that will eventually overtake boxing as a business? And the aspect of the performers, uh, you know, the fighters will be on the same pay level as boxing. Fantastic question. Uh, I don't want to upset anyone. I, I think popularity is great. I mean, if we look at it from a fitness perspective, these these you know fighters are physically amazing you know the shape they have to get their bodies into is is pretty pretty amazing but it's not just for me it's not just with mma and boxing or any martial arts you know contact sports it's the mindset yeah it's the mindset and the and the, the mental game of also putting yourself into a, an arena so where you have the potential of being hit in the face yeah yeah putting your body on the line <laughs> putting your body on the line for what you're doing. So from those sports perspective of that, you know, mental and physical, they're amazing. Now, do I think one deserves more pay than the other? Do I think one deserves more, uh, you know, popularity? I think it's, it's historical because boxing has just been around for that. You know, MMA, let's face it, MMA glad- gladiators, you know, yes. they've, been, they've been around for you know, centuries and millenniums, which is effectively think of MMA. It's it's quite glassorial yeah. in its in its approach. Uh, whereas what I mean but in the in the modern sport, boxing is more established. Yeah. So boxing has the pay per view boxing, I'm not saying MMA, but it has the draw at the moment. I think it's not whether they, they des- I think they both deserve equal credit. They, they deserve equal, you know, admiration for what they do. I think MMA fighters have to be more adaptable, have to be more flexible, have to have uh, a bit more in their toolbox. Yeah. Not saying boxers don't, but they're, they're focused on one modality of, you know, of, no of fighting, of yeah. aspect of it. Whereas, you know, again, MMA fighters will have a whole mix of, you know, you know whether it's jiu-jitsu or, you know, Aikido or boxing or fighting Excellent. or kickboxing or Thai or they've got so much more in their, in their arsenal as yeah. well, they have to be adaptable to and I love that I love that approach of how flexible and adaptable they have to be are they standing are they going to ground are they on the map uh, so do they deserve I think that yeah do I think they mm-hmm. deserve equal pay and, and acknowledgement for what they do yes uh, do I think MMA will grow yes I think if we are not I know of time question time but I think if we look at the history of sport and recreation and what it does and where it's going from I can definitely see MMA growing. 
and the yeah. popularity of where it is at the moment and as you get more of the stars coming through and especially i think if you get the stars moving from like boxing into mma yeah you know where people move from one sport into the other and and they'll take their audience with them uh, i think you'll definitely see so i think yeah i think absolutely they should be getting the same uh pay at the end the same purse yeah. for the fights yeah. and i think it'll grow but it's 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 down more to how the promoters look at it. Okay, yes, absolutely. And what's your take on heading and football? With, with Obviously, there's a lot of discussion in the media right now, you know, about yeah. brain injuries, etc. down, you know, down the line. And we've seen so many iconic heroes, you know, pass away with dementia, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, with the dementia... And I think we talked about similarity in American football, similarity in rugby, where there's head injury. With the heading, it's, and there was the, the Stirling University did the research with Alan Shearer. They produced a lot. And it really has to come down to looking at, well, first and foremost, we have to protect the players. You know, we have to think about how do we protect people that are, you know, participating in the sport. And it's coming down to, and I get the idea of heading has been part of the sport for, you know, how long? Yeah. Its yeah. entirety. Yeah. So there's a, there's a massive culture there of aspect, well, heading is part of the sport. But on the same hand, I'm not saying it has to come out now, but I think there has to be more longitudinal studies to look at what is the damage. Yeah. And, and oh. start thinking about it. And start thinking about either, either you eradicate heading or you change something. Yeah. And I believe it has been taken out for a certain age group within football. Yeah, yeah. Apologies, That's I think right. it's yeah. So. so then, but then the question is, the same in rugby, they take out certain aspects of it, but then when do you introduce it? Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, and what, what proof is there that the brain is then, you know, capable of withstanding at that, that age? Pressure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, if, and, and again, and then with a lot of sport, it's about... Uh, building resistance and resilience to the action yeah yeah so if you've not if you're not if you've not brought that at a young age when does that when does that come in so do i think it should be in or out i think maybe the sport of football should look at the balls yeah if there's something they could do uh, but on the same hand if it's something that is being proven to be causing as we dementia alzheimer's these things parkinson's where it is more of a brain damage as opposed to a, a behavioural aspect, then maybe it's time to think about what we remove from sport. Yeah. Without um, making it too sterile. And... Yeah. And it's been great having you on the show today, Paul. Um, just before we round up, have you got any questions for myself? What's your top tip for someone who wants to improve core fitness core. yeah core. core just your core okay. yeah core focus on core right okay so what you need to do is you need to have a look at your nutrition mm -hmm. because your salt and sugar and your diet your intake and your my favorite exercise that not a lot of people do these days is reverse plank because you're keeping the body aligned because yeah. everything's tightening up, you know, if your body's at that angle. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, we've got these two blocks. Um, put your hands on the, the back of them, and then effectively your hands are up, your your feet's up, and everything's at that correct angle. You know, there's other exercises you could do, but the reverse plank is probably the, the most underused exercise within the gym floor. Um, for me personally, that's what yeah. I would say. I love it. But no, it's been great having you on the, the show, Paul. You are an inspirational man to the community. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for having me along.